live and in color from the NBC News Radio Broadcasting Studios of KCAA, 1050 AM, 102.3 FM, and 106.5 FM, located in beautiful Southern California and in parallel from the Turfs Up Radio Studio in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Thanks for tuning in to the Water Zone Show this evening. And a pleasant afternoon to everybody around the world and locally. This is The Water Zone. I'm Rob Starr along with Mr. Chris Davies, and we are the hosts of The Water Zone Show. Hope everybody's having a great day. Want to welcome Mr. Chris Davies out in California land. How you doing? Thank you, Rob. I'm doing great, buddy. I can't actually wait to talk to Chris Austin uh, this afternoon because I'll tell you, man, we've gone from doom and gloom, you know, like uh, parched earth and, and bleak, some bleak bones on the shore kind of thing to, um, oh, man, the... <laughs> Reservoirs are full, and the snowpack is a plenty. so uh, can't wait. Oh, well, we'll bring her on in a second. Uh, how, weather, weather there today, I understand, is very beautiful? It's beautiful, as my kids say. Beautiful. <laughs> yeah, the same out here in Arizona. It's, uh, it's in the low 60s, but sunny, and uh, it's a nice day. It's standing in the sun, and you get nice and warm. You know what's funny? You can tell all the people from California when they come here in the cold. they got sweatshirts on and hats. And shorts. <laughs> I guess I guess the bottom part of their body don't get uh, don't get too cold. So yeah. anyway, hey, I bring you... go ahead. No, go ahead, buddy. I went to parochial school, wore shorts for the first you know fourteen years of my life. Oh. <laughs> Winter, summer, spring, and fall. Uh, was that here in the states or over in uh, over in, in Britain? the UK, buddy? Ah, did you have to wear a little bow tie? Yes, a uh, tie, an actual tie. Didn't, I didn't have a. I did have a bow tie, as a matter of fact, but but, uh, but uh, didn't wear it much. But I and wore last... I wore a white shirt, a tie, a blazer, and shorts every day. Did you have suspenders or a belt? A belt. <laughs> I had to ask. I'm sure you did. <laughs> <laughs> I was just trying to picture that in my mind. <laughs> Anyway, well, let's bring Miss Chris Austin in, who is the purveyor of the wonderful Maven's Notebook, Everything You Want to Know About Water in California. She's the go-to gal. So, Chris, how are you today? Hey, I'm doing great. How are you guys doing? We're trying to be good? Yeah. Hey. Yeah, it's beautiful up here in the North State today. Lovely Uh, weather. 70 degrees up here. Wow. That's nice. Very nice here. Living between the state's two largest reservoirs, which actually have water in them now. So hey, we are all in the we are in a fine mood here in California. That's yeah, good. I read I read the, that uh, Shasta Lake was was added like sixty three feet or something like that to its uh, to its eat. Yeah, yeah, it's been uh it's been great. The the reservoirs are up, not not full, but but right. they would never be full at this point in time because, you know, flood control purposes right. and whatever. But yes, they're they're all night uh, they're they're in much better shape and the state today announced that they would be sending out or they expect to deliver 30% of the requested water to agencies on the state water project, which is metropolitan in Southern California and some people in the Bay area and some of the, some um, agriculture in uh, the San Joaquin Valley. But uh, a large portion of that is Southern California. So that's really good news. That's good news for everybody who gets water from the state water project. It's good news for Southern California 
um, the areas that are dependent on state water project water only, meaning uh, metropolitan infrastructure doesn't, uh, in, it cannot deliver them other water from other areas because uh, the infrastructure is not able, you know, as, as in, I don't think in urban systems it would be, but it, it, they can't, they have a big broad service area and they can't move a drop of water from one site to the other site. That infrastructure doesn't really exist. Although they are making uh, they are making some moves to ease this problem in the future, uh, but anyways, that was uh, you know the stories that we heard about back over the summer um, in the areas where the the enclave of uh, movie stars and richer people live. Um, they've been under these very draconian uh, water restrictions because of the inability to deliver a lot of water there. And uh, Metropolitan said that if they got a state water project allocation of 40%, they could ease up on those areas. So we got 30. They got 10 more percent to go. But uh, but it's good news for, for everyone, really, in Southern California and everyone who gets water from the state water project. Um, we'll see what happens. Uh, the other major uh, water project is the Central Valley uh, project, and that's mainly agricultural in the Central Valley. And they have yet to announce uh, what their allocation is going to be, but they are dependent a lot on the level in Shasta, which is looking good. So um, I think there's hope, shall we say. Now, you know, all the caveats really apply. Uh, we We... If it gets, although I listened to the media call today, and uh, I think the Department of Water Resources is optimistic that even if the skies do dry up and don't deliver any more precipitation for the next couple of months, that uh, that will end up maybe closer to an average year, not so, but maybe not a dry year. Um, and certainly not critically dry. So as long as, you know, <laughs> as long as conditions stay cold or, you know, reasonably cold and we don't get a big heat wave in the mountains and, uh, you know, and hopefully we get some more precipitation. Uh, they, there are some rumblings of a storm in the beginning of February, although those rumblings are getting a little weaker and a little weaker. So we'll see how it goes. But we're definitely in a much improved state. And the areas that de- of uh, California that depend on rain-fed reservoirs are in great shape. They're all at 100% they were talking about this morning. So that's Marin County, that's Santa Barbara. Um, you know, even Lake Mendocino is, is very full. They, ha- they had to actually spill some water from Lake Mendocino, which is, you know, the Russian River area. So, um, you know, good news all around. Our five-day forecast, Chris, has got rain in it on Sunday and uh, Monday. Are you looking for the same up there? Um, there, They have been projecting that there's some something coming in. Uh, and the models are always optimistic in the beginning, and they seem to be kind of getting a little less optimistic. Uh, so we'll see how it goes. 
you know, when it's far, when it's, you know, far out in terms of days ahead of the event, uh, you know, it can, it, you can get some wildly different things and a lot can happen. So we'll see. Arizona's, yeah, I know. I want to be a weatherman, Chris. You can be wrong half the time, still keep your job and you get a cool name as well. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. it's, scheduled for, it's scheduled for rain here on Monday for a couple of days next week out in the Phoenix area. So, uh, whatever you get there is going to probably blow over this way. Yeah, you know, my dad was a weatherman. My dad was the meteorologist in Reno as I was growing up. Oh. And he had it tough because back then, you know, weather forecasting you know, was... They, we've gotten better in the ensuing decades, but also, you know, it, Reno's on the east side of the Sierra Nevadas. And so a lot can happen to a storm as it comes in and rolls across California as to whether it's going to uh, actually make it into Reno and, and cause any precipitation. And I'll, I'll say he, he was wrong a lot back in those days. Well, like 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 most uh, meteorologists back in those days, did they use their real name or did they use a broadcasting name? Oh so no, he was he was Tom Lilly. He was oh. you know, Mister former military guy. He used to uh, do weather on the ships on the in the Vietnam War. So he left the Navy, retired from the Navy, and he came out and became a weatherman. And he was on he was on. Uh, the radio and the TV and all, but I like to say it was it was much harder back then. Uh, they had well, they much they more have, better. Um, hmm? Yeah, they didn't have the tools and the and scientific devices they got today. Yeah, well, I'm you talking know. like the '60s, the '70s. I'm dating right. myself. I mean, you know, like the, when I was an embryo, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you were you were a twinkle in, in your dad's eye. But you know, you know, even even for the military, that's an important job today. Because when they, I know when we're in wars, you, I've watched a couple uh, uh, shows that talked about that. Where, like, like in uh, in uh, uh, what call it, the, the the big wars we had with the uh, uh, in the Middle East, where they had to shoot missiles and rockets and things of that sort because they had heavy windstorms and things of that sort, and all of that could throw the trajectory off. On, on the weapons when they were doing so that's that's a, and, and the planes and everything else so it's it's a big deal oh well, uh, yeah you know, my dad was on an aircraft carrier so you know he had to like you know give them the weather so they could deal with takeoffs and landings and stuff oh. you know so yeah I I, I I i don't know how those guys pilot those planes off a point off a, off a ship and, and and most horribly coming back as those things are, are bobbing, what twenty, thirty feet up and down in, in the in the water and winds. I mean, that's horrendous. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Well, they got a movie about that. <laughs> but anyways, <laughs> moving on. Uh, so, did you have a question for me, Chris Davy? You were talking at the head of the show. Yeah. So I was wondering about if the you know any news on you know there was a ton of damage right last few weeks, several weeks, even going back a month, especially up in um, uh, Central California. Um, and I was reading, I don't know if you were aware of this, because it wasn't on a Maven's notebook, Chris, but oh. some of the debris that came through the 
yeah, that came down through the uh, dams, especially for the hydroelectric dams that are operating, <laughs> are now causing issues um, at intake. Um, so that was that was. Oh yeah, yeah. You get right. a lot of stuff in the water. I mean, it, 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 even if it's coming out of the mountains, tree trunks and branches. Yeah, and, right. And other stuff, and you know, oh, oh, in Montecito, they move all that stuff out onto the beach. And they actually had a warning that, you know, snakes were in there. So don't climb on the debris piles. Snakes. But, yeah. yeah that, would, that would keep me off. Yeah, they, they do. You know, if you're a reservoir operator, then what you're probably doing right now is, you know, trying to move all that debris over because you're going to have to pull it out of your reservoir, you know, at some point. Yeah, it, it's been a it, – it caused a lot of mess, no doubt, no doubt. The other thing is the, the the little bit of contentiousness or fight, if you want to use that term, about <clears throat> you know releasing this water not just for flood control but also for groundwater recharge. Um, you know any any big fights in that that you can tell us about? Well, you know there's uh, uh, there were the the state water board issued a number of temporary permits. I think you know. I say a number. It's probably I'd say like five, seven, perhaps more. Um, and they've expedited this process that can allow farmers to flood their fields to recharge groundwater. They've done a lot of studies over the past years, and they figured out what um, what crops can be uh, flooded in the winter time and not have it affect the productivity, you know, the next growing year. So grapes work. Um, they eat even almond trees to a certain extent. Um, so they've done, you know, so there's a lot of farmers who are, um, you know, putting excess water onto their fields. A lot of them try to uh, get that done uh, during the storm. And the state's actually pretty proud of themselves for expediting the permitting to get that done. Uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of... Um, they're, they're, they're kind of queuing up for a larger fight here in the groundwater arena. There's only so much for uh, flows when the flows get high. I mean, ev not everybody can take that water and put it on their fields. It's just, there's, you know, there's a limited amount of water that's available. <clears throat> and there's some concern, you know, we have, I don't know, I think, 200 GSAs, you know, probably of which 175 of those are in the San Joaquin Valley. And, you know, most of them, if not all of them, have uh, depleted groundwater basins and they want water to replenish it because they can replenish their basin. Then, you know, their growers in that area can have more water, obviously. So they're really working on that. And there's a lot of concern that. Um, it's going to be those that get there first, you know, which would be the the groundwater agencies that have that expertise on staff uh, and are you know and can start acting on this early versus others that may not be as you know as well staffed to get this done. So there is actually money in the 
governor's budget to have a process to figure out how to equitably equitably allocate this type of water, you know, because, uh, you know, kind of first come, first served is, is great if you are, have the ability to do that. Not everybody can. So, uh, and there's, they haven't given a lot of information on how how they're going to go about it, but generally, what I imagine is that uh, there there will be a study or some workshops held to sort of collect input from people, uh, you know, in the area and kind of study the situation and figure out what what can be done to do that. So we're not to the point yet where anything's going to happen, but it's going to be interesting to see. Um, these are, these um, permits that they're issuing are five-year permits. They're temporary permits. So, you know, there will be time to adjust this the situation as we come down the road, uh, but we'll, we'll see how that, we'll see how that all works. But and and I'm going to be interested to see how much water actually got into the ground to the best that, you know, that they can determine. It's a little hard if you're flooding your field and if you're, you know, you don't have a meter on what, wherever that water's coming from, then you don't know. You, know. you can estimate how much water you put on your field and you can see what comes up, you know, how the groundwater basin levels come up. Uh, so... Hopefully they'll they'll be able to get a bit of a sense of how much water was put into into storage. Uh, is it was it as much as we could have put in? Oh, probably not. I'm sure there's a lot more we can do. But some of the stories that made it sound like uh, we were just letting all the water go um, were not necessarily true either. I get it. You know, there's a. I, uh, Rob, if you're listening, if you're still got your earbuds on there, buddy, we should. Yes, we I do. I'm sorry. I was find, yeah, we should I, see if we could find out if we could find somebody with Chris's help from, um, you know, from NASA. To, we'd love to have them on the show and tell us about how they how NASA measures the underground water. This was on the Di- Daily Digest a couple of days ago, Chris. You remember that? Oh well, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. They got this Grace mission, you know. It would be great if we could talk Jay Famiglietti to coming in and and yakking on the on the podcast with you all. He he's the guy that I think was very involved in the Grace mission, which is the uh, satellite that measures groundwater uh, when it first went up, and then he went to the University of Saskatchewan for. I probably I don't know three or four years, but he has I believe returned to the University of Arizona now well, to head up their the water. University of Saskatchewan. Who hasn't been there? <laughs> yeah. we, we, no. have, we, have some, we have somebody on from NOAA that we can get back and, and, and get that information. Yeah, maybe good idea. Yeah, we'll do that. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt on that part. But Chris, <laughs> I was going to ask you a question you know, about the, the Delta with its water dilemmas. You know, how much water should be allowed to flow through the Delta into San Francisco Bay? And, how much should be diverted for agriculture, especially in San Juan Key Valley? I mean, that's that seems to be a big big deal right now. Well, yeah, and there there was a situation uh, when the uh, storms first started. Uh, 
they had they couldn't run the pumps at full speed because of uh, the protections for the Delta smelt. So, uh, but then while they weren't running full bore, the pumps they were running, and yes, there were there were actual restrictions there um, on the pumping. <laughs> but yeah, you know how much you're going to draw from the delta. That's always the big question. Um, and this, but there's this idea that if water flows out the delta and into the San Francisco Bay, that it's that that's a bad thing. Um, and it's not. You know, the bay needs some fresh water too. Uh, and it's used to, you know, historically before we came and changed the Delta, it got that water from the Delta. So, you know, there's just a, a lot of um, ecosystems that downstream from the Delta that need some fresh water, too. Um, and it's like the, the argument, the I don't think uh, uh, there's all sorts of things going on. They're looking at uh, redoing the rules. For pumping again, uh, they Trump changed them, and now the Biden administration's looking at changing them again. <laughs> it's like, uh, well, the Delta. I don't think we're. It never. It feels like we're never going to solve the problem. No, I. I don't know. It, <laughs> it's something that so many people are for and against, and opposite things and i just don't see people trying to come together to make it happen they got to give in like you've always said it's got to be got to be give and take to come up with things to to make things better and i just don't see that um yeah and it's it's really hard because uh you know we tend to talk about uh california water as a zero-sum game but i would say uh it's it's actually worse than a zero sum game because you know we ne we need to give back. Overall, we're taking too much water from our rivers and streams. That's why we're having problems with salmon and delta smelt and and all and so many others. Sturgeon, um, you know, there's there are about 27 endangered species. Uh, in California, in the Delta area, the Delta watershed, and the potential to have much, much many, many more. Uh, we're we're taking too much water, so you know we need to give some back to the environment. Uh, but you know, whose water is going to? Who wants to give up their water and give it back? Very few people. <laughs> yeah, especially agriculture. And in California, that's a big, 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 big part of. The water usage. It is. It, it's the it's the major share of of water usage, and you know, and let let's be honest, it's not a waste. It's growing yeah. food, right? That's, that's right. We we kind of need that food, and yeah. it's the most important uh, input into the operation. You know, if you have a farm, but you know, the problem is we're just uh, not going to have as much as we had in the past. I I've um, always said is. You know, I, I think they should give more rebates back to farming. Uh, you know, they did a whole bunch, as we know, a couple of years back with all the smart controllers and all of that. And if you compare the money that they spent and invested into that program versus what they could have used into agriculture, they would have saved 25 times more water by going to the farming or farming world versus uh, residential. Well, but there every, are a every, every little bit helps, though. 
Yeah, and and there are numerous grant opportunities for farmers to to for water efficiency. Um, the uh, Department of Food and Ag here in California has a number of them. The Sweep program or whatever, um, they have a number of opportunities. As does the you know the USDA and the National Resource Conservation Service and the Bureau of Reclamation. So you know there is funding. Uh, for farmers who want to, you know, install water-efficient devices, uh, it, it, there is money out there. Right. And right. I do think that uh, that a lot of farmers are taking advantage of that. Yeah. And, 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 and I really believe that farmers are really smart these days. I mean, this high-tech uh, farming is going on. And, and some of them do need a little bit of financial help to get up to speed to some of these things, the smaller smaller farmers. But the big major ones who have, you know, hundreds of acres or thousands of acres, they're, they're into the state of the art, and, and I think that's a good thing. But I'd like to see more help that out and, and uh, you know, get some, get some uh, cost savings and, and reduction of water that way as well. So, but that's just me. Well, yeah, sure, you know, and and there, you know, there are opportunities out there, and farmers are availing themselves of those. So, you know, it's it's tough being in the farming business these days. You know? Yeah, I'll never I'll never say no to food because I eat a lot. So, <laughs> <laughs> Chris, any other uh, questions you might have for Miss uh, Austin? I do, I Rob. So let me ask the tag-on question here because this is back on the reservoirs again because we're looking at um you know you're looking at all the different uh uh if you go to maven's notebook for our listeners you can see all the california reservoirs and what stage of pool they're at and, and as a percentage um and i and i see a lot of them on here right and all that uh, all, all of them listed including the Southern California ones, which seem to be in pretty good stead right now. But I wanted to point out, as a listener is inquiring here and, and asking about the fact, you know, that we should remember that that reservoirs, impoundment, uh, surface water storage have more than one purpose, right? Just not just for, you know, for drinking water and for agriculture and stuff, but also flood control. Yes, absolutely. Um, yeah, which is, which is why, you know, you shouldn't panic when you when you look at those charts and you see the little you know the little cylinder filled up with the blue colored water uh to show you how full how full they are um it is so interesting when you start with you when you click on those and you start looking at individual reservoirs and what their average um what their average pool has been on a given day uh you know i don't know if you want to make any comments first I, i'm just kind of commenting on it because it is it is so cool just to read that stuff. Yeah, well, you know, and if you look at, like, if you go and look at Bryant, you'll notice that they have, uh, you know, they the the thing about Bryant is the dam is, is small for the watershed. So they have to really empty that reservoir if there's a lot of snow up up in the mountains above them. And so if you look at it, you'll see how it'll gain uh, it'll gain elevation, gain water, and then it will drop way down and come way back up. That's that's how they have to operate that reservoir, which is really interesting. And it's also interesting if you look at the reservoir diagram for Castaic Lake, 
you'll see how it, it kind of has like little waves on it sometimes. And that's because they have a what's called a pump storage project between Castaic Lake and Pyramid Lake. And that's where um, it, during the daytime when electricity is cheap, they pump water up to Pyramid Lake, which is up above, uh, in elevation up above Castaic Lake. It's a little bit higher up in the mountains, and there's, I think, a seven-mile tunnel that connects Pyramid Lake to Castaic Lake. So they push the water up during the daytime. I mean, I'm sorry, at night. I'm sorry. Nighttime. Totally, but nighttime, when it's all cheap, yeah. they push that water up there, and then in the daytime, they they run it down to uh, to create electricity, and that's the main power source for L.A., and it's very important one because when everyone starts switching on their air conditioners, it's the fastest place for them to get electricity into the grid. So, you know, but you can see it on the on the reservoir report, which is interesting. Well, I bet a lot of people are, are wishing the sites uh, project was done. Oh yeah, they found they found they said like they did analysis and said you know that there was I can't remember what the number was but it was they could have uh, saved a substantial amount of water and it, this is the those storms were the type of uh, hydrology that they're building sites for uh, it would take water off the Sacramento River and pump it up to the reservoir when we have those big storms. Uh, you know, when those storms come down like they did, there's just so much water going into the delta and so much water coming down the rivers, uh, you know, just taking bits and pieces off it. There, There's there's quite a bit out there, put it that way. So um, it'll be interesting to see, you know, if they build that reservoir, you know, if they can make it happen. But kind of tends to look that way. If this is the hydrology we're going to have, uh, it's probably a you know a good project. So totally agree. Well, Chris, we're going to let you go because we can come up to our commercial break. Uh, we appreciate you coming on every single week, and uh, I know you've, uh, you're you're going to be doing a, a symposium in uh, the next couple of months, right? I heard about. Oh well, I'm going to the. Uh, I will be speaking at the. Um, was it the American Society of ASIC, yeah. So I'll be, I'll be, I have my own presentation, so I get to yap for forty-five minutes. Uh, you know, you know what day is that on? A, it's not on a Thursday, is it? <laughs> no, it's on a Tuesday. Oh, okay. Tuesday. Because yeah. I'm gonna, I'm, 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 I'm not too far from there. I think I'm gonna come there and I'm gonna get some recordings of you of that and interview some of the people that are there. Uh, oh, yeah, back. it's going to be fun. I'm going to try to explain why we fight over uh, California water so much. So, yeah, hey. So, thank you. And for our listeners, please go to mavensnotebook.com. Uh, become a uh, subscriber. Become a sponsor. It's a great way to get uh, more, of everything, more of everything that you need to know. So, uh, we appreciate that. i got to grab this, and we're going to head out for a commercial, and we'll, we'll see you next week. All right. Good evening, everyone. Have a great week, Chris. KCAA Loma Linda. The Legacy KCAA 1050 AM and Express 106.5 FM. 
Moving up in this industry means getting the most out of each day, so you can focus on growing your business. With Site One, you're in control, and we're here to help. It starts with the right team. Our irrigation pros can help map out a complete, streamlined system that meet any requirements or regulation. And from the first dig to years after install, knowledgeable experts are available in branch, or resources are available online to help find solutions specific to your needs. Next, we make sure you have the right tools to get the job done with the largest selection of top brands in the industry, bringing the latest in Wi-Fi-enabled controllers, rotors, sprays, valves, and drip components. And because hard work should always be rewarded, you'll receive personalized pricing and earn loyalty points on qualifying purchases to help you grow. You're in control. Site One is here to help. Water is one of the biggest expenses for communities, HOAs, universities, golf courses, and resorts. So keeping those costs under control, especially when rates are increasing while water supplies are being reduced, are often essential to a customer's survival. Managing water requires multiple skills, which is why it's been complicated and difficult until now. AquaTrack brings multiple skills and technologies together to help large system users conserve outdoor water and improve the health of their landscapes. AquaTrack's professionals are certified landscape water managers and certified landscape irrigation auditors. The company offers audit services, upgrade advice, technical expertise, and water use monitoring. We already manage irrigation water for the largest homeowner associations in Arizona, and we're prepared to bring our knowledge and experience to help others, including landscapers and designers. Give us a call and hear how AquaTrack saved one HOA some 430 million gallons of water and $200,000 in annual water expenses. AquaTrack is Arizona-based, and you can reach us at 623-594-8689. That's 623-594-8689. Five nine four eight six eight nine. Are you presently part of the irrigation industry as a worker or business owner? Do you want to learn how you and your staff can boost your knowledge and productivity? Then you should check out Irrigator Technical Training School. Irrigator Tech is the leading source of quality instruction serving all facets of the irrigation industry. Their courses provide a basic, easy-to-understand approach that raises the skill level, competency, and professionalism of landscape and irrigation personnel through practical education and services. Irrigator Tech combines classroom and real-life hands-on training, leading to a well-recognized certification that both customers and employers demand. Irrigator Tech's specialized courses can help you quickly become a certified irrigation auditor or a certified installer, repair, maintenance, or backflow technician Courses also include certificates in smart water application or becoming a certified tree worker. Most importantly, all certifications are state recognized and Irrigator Tech offers annual renewal classes to help keep your certification up to date. So whether you work in California, Washington, Oregon, Nevada, or Arizona, there's an Irrigator Tech class near you. For more information on how to jumpstart your career, call Irrigator Tech toll-free 866-614-1755 or visit them on the web at irrigatortech.com. That's toll-free, 866-614-1755, and on the web at irrigatortech.com. This is KCAA. Well, welcome back to the second half of The Water Zone with Rob Starr, that's me, and Mr. Chris Davies at the other end of the mic. And I hope you're enjoying a good afternoon today, wherever you are. 
And Chris, you know, I, I, I'm envious of you because you went to the Drucker School and you got a, you got an MBA, and I went the other route being engineering. But you're a good stat man, and you like statistics. And I know you have some, some new statistics to give to us. And uh, once you get into that, I'd be real interested in listening to those. Yeah, no worries. Absolutely glad to do it. So this is sort of a year in review thing that, um, you know, that came out recently. And, <clears throat> you know, rather than disclose where the, uh, you know, where the data come, came from, it was a, it was one of the large industry publications, right? So it was kind of neat because, and, and you and I were talking about it, Rob, and, and I just thought it would be interesting to talk about some of these stats, right? You and I just cover them a bit see if we get any questions on the on the chat board but yeah. um yeah but this was this was sort of looking at a at a broad perspective of um industry participants over the past year and kind of you know how their business went right how did you know did they have any uh, uh growth was there any profit in there did they see a rebound from um you know the covid and pandemic months and stuff like that so just to start, we'll start with one here real quick, but just kind of give an overview so every so every, all the listeners know who essentially was polled for this. So it's um, it's it's essentially both it's contractors, but both irrigation landscape contractors, right? There's some government uh, municipalities as well in there. Architects, designers, and cult, uh, consultants were another uh, group, and then you know, kind of tailing off on the end, there were some universities that gave some feedback. Um, golf courses and um, some water or utilities or, or or other agencies. So, just just so you know, that's kind of where the kind of where the data came from. Um, I think the first thing that that struck me was these guys were asked, you know, what was what was your growth over over uh, uh, in in 2022? Now that the now that the year is over, and uh, just interesting results. Just you know, you want you want to take a wild guess, Rob, and kind of see where what the percentage of uh, of of growth was. This is overall amongst all those categories: so landscape companies, maintenance companies, all that kind of stuff. Give it a give it a wild guess. If if I took it, is, uh, we, we're not. We're, it's just twenty two. It's not counting the drought, right? No, I not mean, counting the drought. Yeah, and not counting COVID. Nope, and it's national, by the way. So in in 2022, so not just California, not just uh, you know. Uh, I say I say 30 to 35 percent. Well, you're pretty close. It's 25. Oh, okay. Um, and by the way, listeners, there was there was no coercion on this before. This was a <laughs> this was a flying question to Rob. <laughs> but but uh, Rob, and you know, and everything you say, you've got a good you know you've got a good clue on this. So so the range was was anywhere from about. Uh, was 47 percent at at the high, um, and then six percent at the low, uh, okay. but the average was 25 percent right in the middle. So I mean, you know, what what's that say about the industry, Rob? I mean, you know, it's that's pretty good numbers, man. Except they didn't manage like in college where they go by the curve. Yeah, great <laughs> on the curve. Oh my yeah, gosh, so thank you for that. <laughs> you know, I mean, you know, my motto in high school, buddy, go for the C. Yeah, <laughs> always. No, well, that's, that's that's actually remarkable. That's that's pretty damn, pretty darn good. Yeah, I thought it was. Uh, you know, I thought it was good to have just so just so I can add some color to that. There's a little bit of regional stuff uh, to it. You know, northeast, southeast, uh, midwest, and 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 west. So 
just if you were to think which one of those four areas had the largest growth, what would you what would you think? Uh, and again, it's northeast, southeast, midwest, and the west. I'll say west. You are absolutely right. Just shy of forty percent uh, of the of the total growth, uh, industry growth, was was in the west. And so just to round it out, the northeast was 17, uh, southeast 19 uh, percent, and and the Midwest uh, around uh, 24 percent. So so that I know I know if anybody's doing the math, it only adds up to 99. But that's statistics for you. Yeah. Well, there's <laughs> lies and damn lies, and then there's statistics. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's what that I learned in college. Is that an old <laughs> thing you just made up? No, I remember that from college. They used to tell us that. Oh. All right. So here's another one. Let's get let's uh, let, let's keep talking about this while we got a couple of minutes. So one of the, you know, they asked about what, what were some of the difficulties in in um, in growing their businesses last year. And and I'll tell you, I want to ask you a question again. I don't want to keep embarrassing. Oh, no, you can. I think the, I'll, I'll throw an answer out. It was just yeah. like uh, it's like Jeopardy. I think yeah. the biggest deal was there was a lack of people going for jobs. Exactly. So, so <laughs> pretty much in seventy percent of the response, seven out of ten respondees um, quoted or, or checked off the radio box, I guess, or the radio button on the. Cause I'm sure this was done online. They checked off yeah. the radio button that says labor shortage. So, yeah, I still see. I still see when I go out with my wife and kids, and and I see signs everywhere. Every just about eighty percent of restaurants I see or other places, they're looking to hire people. They give them a starting wage. They say they'll give them a bonus to sign on, and I I don't understand. Well, I I have my re- beliefs on why that's happening. I don't want to share that on the radio. I don't want to get political, but but it's ridiculous when we have so many people out of work. There's so many jobs. It it doesn't make sense to me. I mean, there's reasons. For that and what caused it, but again, I don't. I don't want to go into the details because I try not to make this a political show, and, and I'm not going to do that. Yeah. But yeah. that's that. That seems to be the the kind of big deal that that's happening, and, and that's hurting a lot of businesses, a lot of small businesses that uh, you know, family-owned businesses that can't get help. And uh, you, know, you go to a restaurant, you see half of it empty, and it's not. It's empty of seating because there's not enough waitresses to wait on the tables. Yeah, and that's kind of sad, and and, and that's a shame. Yeah, I agree. Any, anyhow, so that's want to uh, take want to take a stab at what the at what the second uh, from a percentage wise was. Labor shortage was the first at almost seventy percent. But I'll tell you this: forty three percent of the respondents said that insurance and labor costs was the second uh, biggest you know uh, impediment to to their growth. Oh. Um, I, I, that I believe. That I yep. that I totally believe. Yep, yep. Um, Price of insurance is killing everybody these days. Yeah. So when you you know when you you know when you look at that, it's you know it's tough. We've all seen that on a personal level, <clears throat> from from just you know you you know you and I going by and uh, going to the store and trying to buy eggs, right? Go go try buy eggs right now. Do you know in Arizona? You're gonna love this. There's a company now that's renting chickens. Wow. True story. It was I was on ABC last week uh, out here. Uh, they'll bring you a uh, a coop and a, a certain quantity of chickens that you want to have, and and you rent this by the month. Well, there you go. 
Now, I don't know. I, I, they didn't go into particulars like how much does it cost or how many how many eggs are you going to get. But somebody somebody said uh, they, they were always paying eight dollars a twelve pack, a dozen, eight bucks. Yeah, it's not, <laughs> not that expensive here. But man, I, I you know that doesn't surprise me. That does not surprise me at all. Uh, hey, you know one one of the things because you know we 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 all had in the regions we live. Uh, between you, me, and, and, and Christmas, Chris Austin, is is the weather and the temperature. And, you know, the majority of the homes in the United States don't have smart controllers. Right? Yeah. I think we can both we can both agree to that. Yeah. But, th- you know, there's things that they can do to help reduce their water usage. And, and, and the reason I'm starting with that is because, you know, as we go down the road with water, you know, what's the true value of water and what we're paying and and this and that, and as it's going to get more expensive. I don't see anybody, any water agency in the country, going to reduce their their, their rates. Um, you know, people got to learn to use their water or save water or do whatever they got to do. But like, I have some neighbors here in in the community I live. Most most of the houses here didn't have smart controllers. They just had regular, normal, you know, old fashioned controllers, and they don't have or they didn't come with rain sensors. You know, we've had. You know, this is in a place where we get storms like in Seattle, Washington, every every day in rain, you know, at 4 o'clock in the afternoon. But it does rain, and it rains hard. And, you know, if they had a rain sensor, which is even a, ma- a manual one, they don't even have to go to a, re- a remote one, which they could. Uh, but, you know, when it rained here, I, I, I have that on my system. But my neighbor, I went up and said, hey, you, it rained this many inches. You can turn your controller off for a couple days. And then when you then after those couple of days when it gets to dry up, you hit the button and turn it back on. And people don't realize that they just let it run every day, just like the old the old, the old fashioned controllers. They don't go with the weather. If you rate, if you water three times a day for uh, twenty minutes on something, they're going to leave it even though it rains. It's just like going. Remember in California, I guess they still do it. Maybe yeah. uh, uh, you ride on the freeways and you see you see the 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 rotor is going chick 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 chick. And, and while it's raining, and I, I hope Caltrans fixed that across the state. I know that was a big deal a couple of years ago. Yeah, uh, but there's there's certain things like that. Also, watering early in the morning when it's thirty or forty degrees, I think that's the wrong thing to do. Yeah, I think they should start their 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 time a little later in the day. And if they're going to water twice a day, don't wait till it gets dark and it's freezing again. Would you agree to that? I'm sure you agree to that. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, you know, you start, I'd use the same words as you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I, I probably in northern Arizona here, I would assume that some of the places up in Flagstaff and and uh, some other other areas. That get, get, yeah, uh, I wonder how they take care of their their irrigation uh, uh, lateral lines if they drain it or what do they do. So yeah, it doesn't freeze. Yeah, I think so. I mean, you know, even up there when we were in Prescott a couple of months ago, there were several, uh, you know, just talking to system guys out there, several of the companies that operate up there, these are the major companies in the Prescott Flagstaff uh, uh, area, were yeah. very busy with winterization. Yeah. And, and, and for people across the country, back in mid- Midwest and, and, and the northern part of the, the state back east, uh, that's something you really got to watch for because you could break a lot of stuff uh, if you don't properly winterize your system. Uh, again, 
you know, getting a rain sensor is simple. It's inexpensive. Uh, even a smart controller. I think there's there's plenty of places that still give rebates out for it. Uh, I know in the HOA properties out here in Arizona that uh, they were only allowing maybe $250 or something like that, uh, which is kind of hard because in, in California it used to be $25 uh, a station. So uh, you could rack up some more money that way. Uh, but, I, but I think that's that's where a lot of money savings and water savings can happen if big HOAs and things look into the smart controller systems. The golf courses are all going that way, have gone that way. And, and they're one of the better stewards in this country where years ago they were thought of as the, the biggest, one of the biggest wasters. But uh, now you've got really professional people uh, who really understand water management, and, and that's tremendously helping their industry. Because cost, cost for operation is just high. <laughs> yeah, not say. just golf, Rob, but also commercial. Yeah, also commercial. Uh, maintenance companies, uh, commercial, right? You, you know they're out there pushing... Uh, smart controllers without yes. yeah without a doubt right because they know the savings that are possible for their for their for their customers right for their clients so every every time that that I've had an experience to talk to contractors like uh, uh, like some of the larger ones whatever city or region uh, that I'm in they're always gung-ho I mean you know you know pedal to the to the metal to try and move as many of their customers smart controllers as possible and they always tell them about the rebates and what what's available and they offer pro, the contractors offer programs to help with the rebate paperwork and you know all that kind of stuff so you you know they're on the side of trying to make it work because they know the benefits oh absolutely you know as as water gets more of a demand and the price goes up uh, people got to worry about getting through all of this and how it's how it's going to affect their lives uh, with water use they still have to operate the systems no matter what even if you use less if you if you're not if the water agencies aren't making the money because they're selling less water they got to be able to still keep the doors open and keep the systems good the good water treatment plants all of that it's 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 more than just a simple problem that uh, oh just give them more money for this or that there's a lot of things that go into that and a lot of things that people don't know about the operation of a water district or a water agency, um, you know, or what they have to go through because they have to provide clean water. They have to make sure it's delivered. You turn that tap on, the water comes out of the spigot. That's what they want. And they, and they, and they, they demand that. And we're all used to that. Un- unfortunately, we're not like uh, take Israel, for example, where I think pretty much every single homeowner uh, anybody who uses water in Israel or those kind of states in Dubai, place they are so in tune to the, the, the crucial use of water and, and how desperate it is to, to make sure that they save that natural resource. Yeah, yeah, true. Absolutely true. So, I, Yeah, I'd like to, you know, just, um, just book before we tag off of the, um, off of the uh, year in review thing here, because I wanted. I wanted just. Uh, I'm going to tease you one more time, Rob. So. Well, so, wait a minute. What's what? What prize do I get? I answered a whole bunch of them, right? I I know. <laughs> it'll, it'll, it'll come. I'll send you a, a box of Cracker Jacks. The okay, okay. You open that little bag in there and see what you get. Yeah. <laughs> so here it is. Here's the question, man. So this is this is forward looking, right? Looking to looking to 2023. So the question is, how many as a percentage of all the people that <clears throat> that uh, that that 
to compile this data. Um, how many of them think that their uh, business is going to increase uh, 30% or more, increase 10% or more, stay the same, uh, decrease or decrease greatly? So, you know, got to guess? I say 10%. Well, here, bingo. So the uh, increase greatly, so 30% or more is 10%. 15% or more, 39% think they will. Uh, stay the same, the 43% is the uh, percentage. And decrease is 5%, and decrease greatly is 3%. So, you know, good, good data. Yeah, oh, absolutely. You know, things can change on a dime, though, with the way the world's yeah. going. <laughs> we, we don't know. It's like, it's like a recovering, getting electronic component shortages. Remember that? Uh, yeah. I think I think everybody is sort of getting over the hump so, on that. Yeah, uh, you had like 52 weeks uh, delivery for integrated circuits. Now it's much better, but that that took a toll. That took a toll. And yes, we're building in Arizona a new uh, IC Chip points plant. microchip. Yeah. yeah, but the problem is you still got to worry about uh, China and Taiwan because that's yeah. where most of the chips are made. And we don't know what's yeah. going to happen with that. So. Yeah. Any other words of wisdom for our great listeners today? No, I think uh, I think we're good. Got a got a nice joke coming up next week, so we can, yep. uh, yeah, we can look forward to that. That's going to be uh, that's going to be a good one. Really, not much in the trade show uh, arena going on uh, these days, so so you and I won't be out until uh, about April time. That, that's that's true. That's true. And uh, we uh, we have a bunch of good good host uh, uh, guests uh, lined up. We have the uh, mayor of Houston and yep. their water agency, and that's going to be set up. Uh, I think it's the second or third week in in uh, February. So we'll keep the listeners in tune. So anyway, the most important thing we got to tell our our listeners today is help keep our planet blue. That's right. If you like green, you got to have blue. So good night, everybody. You have a great evening. And Chris will be talking to you shortly. KCAA Loma Linda. The Legacy KCAA 1050 AM and Express 106.5 FM.